G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Monday, it is good to touch base with the Australian Christian Lobby, checking on this week's political agenda, and I want to make a special welcome along, Dan Flynn, who's the Chief Political Officer. Dan, welcome back to 2020. Thanks for checking in with us, Neil. Hey, Dan, you've got a big week on, and one of those things on the agenda this week is happening on Wednesday. The Health Minister, Greg Hunt, he's meeting with the Australian Health Minister's Advisory Council to discuss the treatment of children and adolescents experiencing gender dysphoria. We know this has been a huge area of confusion, and it does seem to be lots ideologically driven. Uh, What's happening this Wednesday that we ought to be concerned about? There's been a fair bit of um, pressure from a number of doctors uh, led by Professor John Whitehall, uh, who's Professor professor of Paediatrics. So a lot of pressure on the Health Minister to have an independent inquiry in relation to childhood gender dysphoria and how to treat it. And the fault lines, if you like, are that uh, there is a a minority, but a a radical and determined minority, that uh, operate these gender clinics, for example, at the uh, Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne, that when a child presents um, and they wish to identify as another gender, then uh, the affirmative approach is adopted um, and uh, a sense of encouragement of that child to transition socially and uh, leading them down a, uh, I suppose, a way path of uh, towards puberty blockers and, and uh, other medication, cross-sex hormones. Um, there's been one uh, intervention here, and that is by uh, Dr John Whitehall, who's written to the health ministers saying that uh, he and many other paediatricians uh, say a watchful-waiting approach is the way to go here, that most children expressing gender confusion will um, you know, grow out of it effectively and return to their, their natal sex. So uh, we are very concerned that activists are... Uh, in the ear of health ministers in the states and promoting this idea of um, uh, affirmative model of pushing children towards uh, social transition. Um, And we are uh, getting the word out uh, today uh, to uh, our ACL supporters, and we'll ask them to share it, uh, to write to the health ministers to urge them to support Dr Whitehall's submission. So, yeah, big, big project today, and these things happen um, out of the public eye, uh, but these types of meetings are, are very important in politics. Isn't it interesting, Dan, when you've got someone with the enormous experience of Dr John Whitehall, and uh, we've featured him on this program, and uh, what a great clarity he brings to the whole issue. Uh, but in all of his wisdom, from decade upon decade upon decade, in his uh, specialised paediatric clinical role uh, to say watch and wait and uh, for some who are driven ideologically or 
there are those uh, in dealing with uh, you know what potentially here is a whole industry of uh, of uh, transformation of, for children who want to identify as the opposite sex that somehow or other watching and waiting doesn't seem wise enough but but really watching and waiting this is coming from where the wisdom is and uh, and he has such wonderfully strong arguments Dan what are your thoughts around the credibility of someone like a Dr John Whitehall and the sort of contribution they make Absolutely. He's um, been practicing this field for about 50 years. Uh, he uh, leads Australian doctors overseas uh, so that, that Australian young doctors can experience what it's like for children in the third world. And um, uh, he's a man who uh, is, is a professor. He's uh, got great credibility um, but and also great bravery. Uh, he says there are many, many doctors uh, who support him, many of whom won't go public. Um, but a number of doctors, fortunately, have co-signed his letter uh, to the health ministers this week. It's very interesting, Neil, that his watchful waiting approach, uh, uh, there was a, a move to declare that illegal in Queensland recently, in it, uh, which, which failed, and it was, you know, uh, it would, uh, the idea of not affirming or not um, moving a child down a path of transition uh, was going to be criminal. Uh, that bill seems to have been sidelined, which is great, uh, but there's a you know another front opening up in Victoria. So, um, yeah, Professor Whitehall is aware that this very practical, basic teaching um, uh, of his could become unlawful. And quite frankly, Neil, what child uh, could possibly consent to procedures that affect their future gender and their future reproductive capacity? It's uh, a stunning proposition, and I'm glad that he's intervening and I'm glad we're supporting him. And uh, the Australian Christian Lobby, and uh, you're rarely without some sort of action that you'd like supporters and Christian listeners, even to this conversation today, to take. And and uh, you're encouraging people to write a letter to health ministers uh, in your state uh, just outlining their concerns. Uh, yes, this will be up on our website uh, later today. Uh, we'll have about 48 hours of uh, action and it'll be shared on Facebook as well. So, uh, yes, we we will make the material available, um, and uh, you know we'll, we'll certainly email uh, our supporters and put it on our website. So, uh, we want those health ministers to walk into that meeting on Wednesday, knowing thousands of Australians uh, don't support young children uh, being uh, pushed along the path uh, towards you know basically addiction to uh, cross sex hormones. Um, and I think most people think that's a reasonable position. So check the ACL website, acl.org.au, a little later today, and uh, just for some guidance on how that might happen, either that or just get in touch with your uh, state health minister. Hey, a frightening case on a Facebook comment by a Queensland mother of four resulting in her being dragged before the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Tribunal. How does that story look? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to imagine, but there's uh, uh, a young uh, lady, uh, Katrina Tate, uh, she, she merely shared a uh, petition in relation to uh, her opposition to Drag Queen Storytime and um, just said, look, I don't think this should be you know, made available for kids. Uh, and she has been taken, to, she's from Queensland, and has been taken to the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Tribunal um, by um, an activist who uh, is, is who regularly does this type of thing, um, and uh, saying that that you know 
Uh, he has been, he as a homosexual man has been vilified. Um, this, this complaint is now a live complaint before the tribunal, even though she doesn't live in New South Wales. Um, and there is a, a bill by uh, Mark Latham uh, to stop this happening. He's raised a flare this week, uh, this last week in Parliament, um, uh, moved a motion that uh, the tribunal should not hear this case against Miss Tate. Uh, for her very reasonable sharing of the post. Um, we are going to a difficult world if people are going before tribunals for liking something or sharing something. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're very blessed to have people like Mark Latham who call this out, uh, who say that, look, Australians simply will not tolerate this. Okay, let's move on in Perth. Uh, Black Lives Matter protests, uh, they've been going on and sporadically and uh, Margaret Court has pointed out a very different standard being applied to church meetings, and this is something reflected in a number of dimensions around the country, but uh, what are your thoughts for what's been happening in Perth and the statements by Margaret Court? Look, Margaret has done a great job in pointing out the inconsistency between some 7,000 people turning up to a protest uh, about 10 days ago on the Black Lives Matter issue, and then, you know, only 100 people allowed uh, at, at church. Um, now, uh, you know, if more than 100 people were allowed, they would have been fined, but it was clear that nobody was going to be fined at the Black Lives Matter situation. And, you know, we have a similar situation in Queensland where um, uh, there are more people allowed in pubs um, than churches, uh, and churches that sing have, you know, uh, restrictions applied to them, greater restrictions. So, look, you know, this is a complex one because we are dealing with, you know, live COVID cases, particularly now in Brazil and America and, and some new ones in Victoria of a substantial number. Uh, all we ask for is fair treatment for the churches and we are vigilant on this. It's a, it is a moving feast day by day. Well, Dan, of course, in Victoria, extra COVID-19 cases that have uh, caused the Premier down there to actually reverse some uh, easing of those social distancing laws. And uh, you might assume that that's uh, something that could happen in all of the states if there is this sort of second spike, second wave of these cases. Um, interesting, isn't it, that uh, if churches do decide to go back and uh, and have larger numbers, or if they are allowed to have larger numbers, there's going to be an extra responsibility, isn't there, for uh, special social distancing and ideas around sanitisation. Uh, those are going to be important elements for churches to be aware of. What are your thoughts here of, you know, for churches that are beginning to meet with the smaller numbers, wanting to have larger numbers, but there's some responsibility that goes along with that? Look, there is, Neil, and, you know, it's in, you know people are arriving in smaller numbers, uh, sitting in a more distant way, you know, signing in, um, recording their presence, etc. Uh, look, I think generally church leaders are wise in taking necessary precautions, um, and so typically now a service in Australia will have some people in attendance, some online or on Zoom, and you know, the pastors are saying to me, uh, we are really trying to get people in church as much as possible, because there's nothing like, you know, fellowshipping together, there's nothing like that experience of um, you know, being uh, in a room with your Christian brothers and sisters to, to build your faith, uh, and uh, for people to um, I suppose identify needs in other people and look for ways they can help them. So um, the church leaders are doing a great job on this. 
um, we we are I suppose they are all trying to be vigilant and make sure that um, uh, the freedoms that we've lost in COVID that we can actually regain. Interesting too, there's a little difference that uh, I'll get your thought on here, Dan, because when people in church life get together, uh, there's typically no alcohol involved. So where you've got restaurants and hotels having larger and larger numbers allowed to meet together, uh, you might assume that uh, with the alcohol involved, uh, people's ideas around social distancing uh, may actually be diminished a little, whereas in church life you've got people who perhaps are going to be quite attentive to the idea of social distancing and making sure they do things right. So there's a there's even a different dimension there as soon as you put alcohol in the mix and uh, and churches don't have that. So uh, there's a, certainly a higher uh, likelihood that churches will be responsible. Yes, absolutely. And... Um you know, you've got uh, you know waiters moving around from table to table. There's you know people standing at the bar drinking. Uh, so, you know, we've just got to make sure I think that um, that there's no um, hypocrisy here from governments um, uh, sort of piously imposing limits on churches that they wouldn't be able to impose on hotels. Uh, we know the Australian Hotels Association and others are lobbying uh, hard for. Uh, you know, further opening. Uh, so, um, you know, common sense needs to prevail, uh, but certainly Margaret Court was spot on uh, to point out that uh, her church was greatly limited, but the day before there were 7,000 people milling around uh, in Perth uh, who nobody was going to find. Uh, that, that sort of um, uh, double standard is concerning. And in the meantime, churches doing a wonderful job with their streaming services into the living rooms of of members of churches all around the country and and all of the uh, reports, the anecdotal evidence there is that's going incredibly well. So all of that would hope to continue, but certainly there are churches who are very uh, enthusiastic about getting back together, being face-to-face, having people having mm-hmm. fellowship again and uh, mm-hmm. in a socially responsible way. Hey, just touch on a, a couple of quick things while we've got these Go just a few now. minutes. South Australia... Uh, push there for radical abortion laws, and uh, they're getting desperate there on the uh, on the uh, the left side here, uh, relying on fake news. What's the story here? There was an interesting survey that came out from Flinders University asking people about their views on abortion. Uh, it was an incredibly skewed uh, polling system. We saw it for what it was. We sent it out to our supporters, many of whom, um, you know, complained and said, "Look." I don't want to answer this. I can't even um, barely get a straight pro-life answer into this survey. And people are very uncomfortable doing it. Um, we uh, have made a freedom of information request uh, into the university to find out about how it was set up, who approved it, etc. cetera. Um, but we saw it for what it was. It was actually going to be used as a basis to support buffer zones around uh, abortion clinics. So the, as soon as pro-life people seemed to be starting to answer this en masse, the poll was pulled. Then the results were published saying 79% of South Australians support no limits at all on abortion and that there be um, no uh, speech about abortion within 150 metres of these abortion clinics. Um, and we, it, it, was a, uh, it was fake news in that the poll was really skewed, was prepared with that end in mind. Uh, so uh, we have uh, some very capable lobbying happening in South Australia, 
through our South Australian director, Christopher Bro here and his team. And what we are hopeful for there is uh, that if buffer zone legislation is passed around abortion clinics, that there be an exclusion for prayer. Um, and that would be an ex- a very important uh, exclusion. Um, the numbers are, are not the numbers are difficult in South Australia uh, on this, but if we get an amendment uh, that indicates that people can pray near abortion clinics, that will be something. Um, obviously, uh, we really do want people to be able to talk to people who are presenting to have an abortion, who what they really want is someone to affirm them and support their baby. Um, you know, the stats we know, uh, most young women, when they're offered support, um, practical support, um, it gives them a huge lift and they're, they're usually delighted to have the baby uh, who they're already bonding to. Uh, so that important work near abortion clinics um, is done by many who are very, very saintly people. They are not harassers and their work should be protected. And we'll monitor along what's happening there in South Australia. And one just very quick one, because uh, for listeners in uh, southern New South Wales, the Eden Monero by-election is set down for this coming Saturday. Uh, Former uh, Labor MP Mike Kelly's resigned, and uh, there is a by-election. You're thinking, Dan, this is a pretty important by-election, given the issues around religious freedom. What are your thoughts there, just quickly? Just very quickly, uh, the by-election is on the 4th of July, so we just have a, we have a little more time. Um, what's important here is that um, the Labor government has no commitment, they have made no commitment to supporting religious freedom or the religious discrimination bill, uh, as it is in draft form. Uh, the Liberal Party, on the other hand, has. So we are um, urging uh, voters in Eid Monero to consider that and to consider if this is a priority for them, and we try to explain why it is, uh, that they ought to really prayerfully consider their vote uh, on this issue uh, to make sure that religious freedom is protected. Yeah, and uh, apologies, yes, not this coming Saturday, but Saturday, the following Saturday, the 4th of July. Yes. So uh, we'll yes. be following that along as well. Uh, great getting your insights as always, Dan. Let me point people to the Australian Christian Lobby website, acl.org.au. Lots of good resources and uh, articles and understanding as to the way things are evolving politically here in Australia with good Christian commentary. Dan Flynn, thanks so much for the update today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thank you to your listeners. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.